Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 25. As usual, if you have questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, send them to michael at scientifictriathlon.com or through the Facebook Messenger widget on scientifictriathlon.com. Big thanks to today's sponsor, Roka. Roka are the world leaders in wetsuits, trisuits and other triathlon and swim apparel. Uh, but also they are world leaders in performance eyewear for triathletes, endurance athletes, cyclists. They create sunglasses that, uh, unlike others, never fall off your face, even if you try as hard as you can to, uh, to shake them off due to their incredible GecoFit technology. Uh, the optical quality has trademarked C3 advanced optics and they are extremely, extremely comfortable, so light that uh, you keep forgetting that you're wearing them. In the US, Roka also has home try-on options available for the performance eyewear. And they now have prescription glasses as well with uh, all the same features and benefits as uh, the other the sunglasses that they have. No pressure points, uh, lightweight, won't fall off your face, etc. Uh, you can get 20% off whether you're interested in the performance eyewear or the traditional triathlon apparel line of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, etc. Go to roca.com and uh, browse their stores. There is a US store, but now, as you know, Roca also ships directly from uh, the UK and the EU. So that makes it uh, makes life so much easier for, for us here on this side of the pond. And you can take 20% off your entire order with the promo code that triathlon show, all one word, all caps. Before today's questions, I have a very important announcement. Uh, and uh, that is that uh, I'm looking to bring on somebody for a part-time customer support role to the scientific triathlon team here, uh, because I'm uh, really uh, working myself into the ground sometimes here with <laughs> with all the support requests that come in and the questions, etc. So, uh, so I need somebody that can help with that, and uh, that person should be, of course, enjoying triathlon and uh, and enjoying talking with triathletes. Uh, they should have a be fairly knowledgeable in triathlon because uh, I want this person to be able to to answer specific questions about uh, about training about training plans and that sort of thing. They should also be highly motivated and service minded. They should uh, be very good at communicating both verbally and in writing, and they should be able to figure things out and solve things without too much handholding and have a can do attitude because uh, there may be things that. Uh, that are not purely support related things here as well that uh, that we can figure out for you to do depending on what your your skill set uh, your skill set is so but in that case uh, that sort of can do attitude and uh, making figure outable things happen i guess <laughs> that's that's something that i'm definitely uh, considering an important attribute so if you are interested in uh, this role or you know somebody who is interested in this role, send me an email to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K. And uh, we can take it from there. Uh, even if you, you're not sure if it's for you, uh, please contact me and, and we can we can figure it out uh, if, if it's right for you or not. Uh, I should mention that you can do it from anywhere in the world. It's a remote uh, role and uh, probably at the start it will consist of I guess one, one to two hours per weekday, but those hours are flexible. You don't, you don't have to do them at a specific time. It can be whenever really. So, so it's uh, fairly flexible. 
Regarding the questions, the Q&As, before the questions for today, just a quick note that the backlog of questions keeps piling up. So again, I want to try to take a few more, more questions. And this week, I think I'll answer three different questions. Or I know I will do that, actually, because I have planned this episode. I'm not doing it off the cuff. So, uh, so again, maybe slightly less detailed than in some previous uh, Q&As where I have only answered one or two. I do appreciate any feedback that you have on whether you prefer one or two very in-depth questions per Q&A episodes or do you want more questions covered, uh, like three or four questions per episode, which of course would mean better chances of getting your questions answered as well. Uh, so please let me know, email me, message me. I'd love to hear your feedback. This first question is from uh, Sonde in uh, Norway and he asks what is your take on feel prescribed session versus power or pace prescribed my coach has me doing all intervals on feel or rpe rating of perceived exertion his argument is that it's not the actual power or pace output that matters but the effort not being held back by by a prescribed power range on days when the athlete is feeling great and pushed too hard on weaker days where when you can't hold the power range uh, so that's the, the coach's ID. Uh, I still record power and pace, but it's not, I don't look at it during the session, but after. Uh, the managing of future training is then based on if uh, a high power or pace was produced uh, in the session with a relatively lower RPE or vice versa. And uh, the alternative would be that uh, that the coach prescribes a power or pace range and the athlete would aim to hit uh, those ranges and then report back RPE instead. Uh, and uh, Sondre writes, personally, I think that an objective power range with some subjective description of the session would be the best. For example, three times 15 minutes at 90 to 95% of FTP, where the first interval should feel quite sustainable. By the end of rep three, you should be pretty tired, but not bonking. I think it is the coach's job to guide the athlete on what intensities to execute uh, and the athlete should still have awareness. If the athlete on a particular day feels it's too hard to hold 90%, for example, in that above session, three times 15 minutes, then the athlete should make a decision and adjust the session, for example, back to 85% or do just three times 10 minutes or even just break it off and spin uh, for uh, the rest of the session instead. All right, so this is a really, really great question. And first of all, I, I will say that there are many ways to skin a cat. For example, somebody like Daniela Rief trains pretty much exclusively on RPE, so field-based prescription, uh, to the best of my knowledge. And uh, I've heard uh, Brett Sutton talk live uh, so and uh, discussed Daniela Rief's training in, in, pretty, in a lot of detail. So, so I actually know that this is probably the way that they do it unless he was lying uh, but i don't think so so uh, and we also heard on for example as late as on in monday's interview with joel filial in episode 172 that his squad which consists of uh, the best of the best in the uh, short course triathlon world they rely pretty heavily on rpe as well except for in running where they have speed limits so it's clear that uh, a field-based prescription or RPE-based prescription can work really, really, really well because some of the best in the world are doing it. On the other hand, I do think that, uh, or it, I, we know that when we're talking quality workouts, like those intro workouts, the actual output, it really does matter. It's not about how hard your body perceives it as much as about how hard you're actually going. 
so uh, so if you're doing VO2 max intervals, for example, and you can't hit a power that is close enough to your power associated with VO2 max, which is called P VO2 max, then you're not going to get the intended stimulus regardless of how hard it feels. And in this case, if it's not possible to produce that output that you're after uh, within a certain range, then in that case, uh, yes, so shortening the intervals might be one option to do as first and if you then can hit the the intensity range that is targeted then fine but if you still can't do that then backing off the intensity completely might be the best option because otherwise you just keep pushing and you keep pushing and you perceive it as being very hard but you don't get the stimulus that you or your coach intended you to get through that workout because you're just not getting that power up there to to that level and vo2 max intervals they are like in, in this case it's it's very clear that this is the case uh, i guess the lower down you go on the power spectrum it becomes less and less clear like where the boundary is uh, i guess uh, so uh, so there is a spectrum here for sure and uh, and i think that this mostly goes for for the the higher intensity workouts so i think still think that things like threshold workouts you'll still want to the, the range is broader for sure than vo2 max intervals but but there is still a limit where you, you're going you're not really hitting the intended range at all and then you should back it off and and not do the intensity because you're not getting that benefit so but on on that easy end of the spectrum on the other hand with easy workout there there really isn't such a thing as going too easy you'll hear on uh, monday actually in my interview with the uh, with Dr. Philip Skiba, who is one of the most sought-after experts in the endurance sports world, although he's uh, a bit somebody that not a lot of people know about because he's not very much out there on the social media and that sort of thing. But he worked with the Breaking Two Project, so he was a consultant for Nike. And uh, I distinctly remember he talked about how uh, Eliud Kipchoge and <laughs> these other guys that are running marathons at two hours or very close to two hours uh, that uh, they start their easy runs at an eight uh, sometimes uh, their their the long runs i should say at an eight to to eight thirty uh, minutes per mile pace which would mean uh five minutes to to five forty five minutes per kilometers or so so five minutes forty five seconds per kilometer pace uh so a crazy easy pace like there are a lot of age groupers that uh, can't run a three hour marathon that run all their runs at a fast, faster pace than that which is definitely wrong it's, it's not something that you should do but it goes to show and joel also mentioned this in monday's interview which uh, i think was absolutely fantastic one of the best that uh, we've had on this podcast that, uh, that there really isn't such a thing as, as going too easy so i think on easy workouts you can definitely go by by rpe alone as long as you're somebody who don't overshoot the intensity range on the other hand some athletes they will feel that it's easy but they're actually going in the moderate intensity power zone or pace zone so then you need to tell them to actually follow power or pace to to back off that to have both rpe be easy but also to have the uh, the quantifiable more quantifiable metrics and objective metrics is is the right word be in the easy zone as well so uh, that's a long-winded way of saying that uh, actually i do 100 agree with your personal opinion that for most age group athletes at least i think that having that objective target range so a power or pace range that you're trying to hit but also combining that with a subjective description as you say is the way to go uh, and uh, there's a great observation there that you make about how the coach needs to guide the athlete to execute the workout uh, because we're not robots so we can't 
execute the workouts as a robot. So, so we should execute it as human beings, which means that our bodies and our physiologies are in a constant state of change and flux. So trying to hit an exact target wattage or pace every time for a given workout is meaningless, absolutely meaningless. And uh, equally meaningless is trying to uh, or expecting to set a new personal best at uh, any given workout every time either. That's just not the way it works and that's uh, not how you're going to improve the most. So each workout should be seen as part of the process of training and executing on that process rather than isolating the workout. And for this reason, yes, you should have a power range, but also, as you say, you should have that subjective uh, description of how, what the, the workout should feel like so that if you are fine dropping 10 watts compared to your last week's workout, if that means that you still stay in the same, in the intended intensity range, but also the, the perceived effort is what it should be and not much, much higher than it actually should be for that particular workout. So related to this on this topic, uh, I'm actually not a big fan of using erg mode in workouts unless the athlete is very experienced and in tune with their body. And uh, if they are, uh, then I know that the athlete will adjust the intensity according to what they've got on the day. But for less experienced athletes, I think that erg mode, it might either be holding them back on their good days or pushing them too hard on their weaker days, all depending on what the state of the athlete is on that particular day. So I personally use erg mode, but I do liberally adjust the intensity. I, I do not, I just use it, I guess, as a simplification thing. It gives me less things to think about. But when I feel that things are too easy or too hard, I adjust the, uh, the intensity immediately. So uh, one thing that I want to add still is that I think that for any athlete, but especially for less experienced athletes uh, or athletes that tend to get too hung up on numbers and risk factors for this type of athlete, by the way, I have done a lot of observations here. I've uh, been doing my field work and I have observed that typically males between 30 and 50 years of age especially those in engineering or other very quantitative lines of work, they, they have a risk factor of getting too hung up on numbers. Uh, I think that for them, it's great to actually do a period, let's say go a month where you change just purely to RPE and you do not look just as you doing, you're doing right now with your, with your coach, uh, just looking at, uh, not looking at your watch, uh, but only recording and looking at the data afterwards. And, and following RPE completely for a month, because that's really a fantastic learning experience. And that will help these athletes then, then transition into using, uh, both the, the subjective, uh, perceived exertion and uh, the, the objective numbers, pace and power numbers. So the body awareness and intuition of how to execute workouts is going to get so much better if you take a period where you just train to RPE. And again, as I said, this is especially for the less experienced athletes. And, and the athletes that, that are, I think that, you know, if you are an athlete that gets too hung up on numbers, and I'm not speaking to you, Sonde, I'm speaking to, to the listeners here, uh, because I know that you are a very uh, experienced athlete. So you likely don't have the problem and you're already training to RPE anyway. So, uh, so this is more so for the benefit of the listeners, but to sum up, I think that you should be using both. And as you say, like having a target range, not a target number, but a target range 
but also knowing what that sort of intensity intended intensity should feel like on the day so it can so you can adjust within the range but also slightly outside the range if really needed and if then the adjustments become too big then you need to do some big adjustment like not doing intensity on that day so that's uh, the first question uh, thank you for that question Sonde. it was a good one the next one is from Russell in London who writes, uh, Hey, what's up? I'm very new to triathlon, but did a sprint last summer and decided to keep the momentum up, momentum up by entering an Ironman in 2019. Last November, I came back from holiday with an IT band issue and I haven't been able to run since, although I had no issues running prior to this. I'm seeing a physiotherapist, but would like to know what alternative cardio you would recommend whilst I can't run and will this prepare me for an Ironman in time my aim is complete and not to compete thanks uh, hi Russell so uh, thank you for the, your question it's a good one I'm sorry to hear about your injury and I hope things are working out it's really great that you're seeing a physiotherapist because that's absolutely the the very first thing that you should do whenever you have an injury uh, the answer to your question as for what alternative cardio I would recommend while not running is uh, I have a somewhat vague, vague answer I guess and it's whatever you can do and will do so in other words uh, let's say that theoretically aqua running might be one of the most one of the best most specific uh, methods of cross training for running if you really don't enjoy aqua running then you just won't do it enough and then whatever you enjoy more will actually do you much more good so don't disregard the cross-training effect of cycling and swimming that you can do, actually. That, that might be a much better form of cross-training if you don't enjoy that aqua running or whatever you decide to try. But, but if we talk about if, let's say that you enjoy everything and, and that's not, uh, not a concern, then I do think aqua running, it's, it's good. It's very specific for running. I also think uh, cross-country skiing, and I wrote this to you earlier because your question came in a couple of months ago, but... Uh, I just haven't been able to get to it until now on the podcast. So now it's getting into that time of year where cross-country skiing isn't really uh, that much on the agenda anymore. But uh, but that or the ski ergometer, they are two quite effective forms as well. Uh, not, well, actually, I should say that ski ergometer, I'm not so sure. I've actually never used a ski ergometer. And I think that depends on uh, what kind of ski ergometer it is. If it's classic style where you're actually using your legs or if it's just using the your arms. So So just the... Uh, the poles i guess or that's what it simulates so so i'll i'll keep my mouth shut on that because i just don't know but cross-country skiing uh, actually out in the wild that's very effective uh, of course in london that's uh, i should have thought of that but that's not really an option for you uh, but i do uh, coach quite a few athletes in in the scandinavian countries so so that's why cross-country skiing comes to mind as an excellent uh, form of cross-training the elliptical or cross trainer is another great option, probably up there with aqua running. And uh, I know that Meb uh, Kefletsigi, he, I think I say it right, I'm always messing it up and I'm so sorry because I should really know how to say Meb's name. But he uses the elliptigo scooter, which is like a, a vehicle, that, like a, a moving elliptical, I guess. And, uh, and they do that with his coach, uh, Bob Larson. I think his name is. And uh, 
and they use that all the time not just for not for injury rehabilitation but for actually injury prevention they replace some of his running with that elliptico and elliptical training of course maybe it's probably sponsored by them but uh, i'm sure that he wouldn't he wouldn't use it if he didn't rate it and actually perceive that it is something that benefits his training because elite athletes just don't work that way they they uh, they will do what what it takes to become the best of the best not just use use tools for the for the sake of using them so uh, so the elliptical cross trainer is a good option as well although it's quite boring uh, in my opinion that's that's my personal opinion uh, anyway uh, i hope that this helps but whatever you can do and will do is uh, probably the the big takeaway for this question so the final question for today is from uh, Martin. Martin, I don't remember if you sent me your location, but I don't have it here in my notes. Anyway, uh, Martin's question is, uh, I wish I'd sent this question in sooner. I think it would have been relevant around the Q&A episodes 15 and 16, where you talked about having a big day in the lead up to an Ironman. Hopefully it's still relevant. And I was wondering how you schedule these big days into your training plan. I don't think I would need any tapering in the lead up, but I definitely think I would need extra recovery or is that wrong? Uh, my A race is at the beginning of June. So would it be right to schedule the big day eight weeks beforehand at the beginning of April? All right. So first, just a quick note for those that don't know the concept of a big day. That's a day where you aim to spend <laughs> a large chunk of hours uh, swimming, biking and running to sort of simulate that fatigue resistance and train that fatigue resistance that you'll need in an Ironman. You don't need to do these as a brick workout. You can swim first thing in the morning, uh, go home, have breakfast, get out on the bike and ride for a long time, get home and eat something, uh, put your feet up for a while and then go out for a long run in the evening so uh, so it does not have to be a brick but it should all be in one day and typically it might be a one hour swim a five hour bike and uh, uh, the run is really where it uh, depends it can be anything from uh, from one hour to to two hours usually but usually not more than two hours that's uh, but but it can be two hours uh, so 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 that's uh, that's the concept of uh, a big day uh, if uh, you do one big day in your lead up to an Ironman, I would recommend doing it four or five weeks before the race. And that's how I have it in my programs. For example, the intermediate Ironman program that uh, recently launched, it's four weeks before the race in that program. If you do two, uh, actually I have two in that program because it's a long uh, program, it's 20 weeks. So you will, uh, you will have uh, scope to do two big days in the lead up because you will already be very fit by the time you do the first. And that's the, uh, that's the important thing here, that you need to be fit enough when you do your first big day. So, so that's why eight weeks out, it can be done, but it depends. You need to have built up to that level of fitness to be able to actually do it and not put yourself in a hole at that point. Uh, so, but if you have two, then my recommendation would be, again, do the, the last one four weeks before the race. And then the first one you would do uh, four weeks before the previous one, so or four weeks before the last one. So that would be eight weeks out. So that would be in the example where you do two big days. And uh, so in the example of my intermediate Ironman plan, it's a 20-week plan. So you've already done 12 weeks of great training when you go into that first big day. And then you get another four-week block before the second one. And then four weeks until the race. So again, eight weeks, doing it, as you suggest, eight weeks before your race uh, for doing one big day, that's not wrong, but you need to make sure that you have have enough of a 
fitness base and have trained for long enough if you are to do that and i would probably recommend doing it a bit later doing it four to five weeks uh, or maybe six weeks before the race you're right that you do not need to taper in the lead up i do like to make the day before very easy something like a light bike or a light swim uh, because we need easy days anyway so so i try to to schedule a light day before that big day but much more important than that is as you say the recovery after the big day uh, the big day should definitely be followed by a few days of low volume training no intensity so as an example rest the day after the big day or you could do some active recovery uh, that might be just as good or even better and then do three days of light training so just recovery uh, zone one maybe zone two intensities nothing hard and also not too much volume don't try to replace the lack of intensity with volume because you really want to you've you've put your body under a massive overload there and what you want to happen is to have a super compensation but that can only happen if your body gets rested enough and gets recovered enough that it can adapt to that stimulus so you need to give your body the uh the the space and time to to do so Uh, so martin has a second part of the question which is more generally i always wonder about this with b races if for example i was able to do a half ironman in the run-up to my ironman would i race it at ironman pace or half ironman pace conventional wisdom wisdom would say that you have a small taper for a b race so does that mean a bit more recovery would be in order following the b race many thanks and keep up the great podcasting martin all right thanks again for uh, this question martin it's a, a really good one so for uh, if you have a half distance race in the lead up and it's a b race uh, you it's not your a race but most athletes still want to have a decent race because you you spent a lot of time training already and you spent some money to enter that race and uh, a lot of time and you will be out there for a long time so you want to have a decent race most likely so i would say that a few days of tapering is an appropriate compromise and uh, then for a b race and and then having a fairly similar recovery structure to what i just mentioned for the big day uh, maybe for a half distance race because it's actually for most of us at least uh, much shorter than a big day you can increase the easy volume a bit quicker in that recovery period compared to for a big day but still keep those four days or so with no intensity uh, after that race that's my advice it could be five it could be six even uh, i don't think that you're in a rush to get back to intensity uh, but uh, but i think that definitely three is the absolute minimum but uh, yeah i probably wouldn't risk it i think it's uh, getting a bit risky there so i would definitely use four days with no intensity as a, as a good rule of thumb and and this means if you have four days of recovery and you have let's say three days of tapering or that before the race this means that in total you're quote unquote sacrificing about a week of normal training but in most uh, most of our training programs you are going to want to have some easier periods maybe not an entire week but easier periods anyway so it might be five days of easier training and now you're having seven you're having that race in between so uh, so you're not really sacrificing much you just as long as you plan that race in such that you can have good training leading into it so you don't have a recovery week the week before that race you just use that small taper period and that small recovery period as the recovery week so to say and doing the race in the middle of it so so that's how i would how i would go about it so that recovery week would run from for example thursday through wednesday rather than monday through sunday and as for the pacing question 
I would definitely say that if you sign up for for a half-distance race, go for your best effort at that distance. Uh, I can only think of one exception to that rule that uh, that I've seen, and that was when I had uh, an athlete uh, that was uh, doing a 70.3 race just one week before her Ironman A race where she wanted to qualify for Kona. So, whoops, scheduling mistake. <laughs> but uh, she, she had already started tapering for that Ironman the week. Well, obviously, we had planned this. So... Uh, so her taper started roughly two weeks before the Ironman, maybe 10 or 12 days or something. Uh, so what we decided to do in that 7.3 was to race the swim at the best effort, race the bike at her best effort, but then just jog in the run. So because that's the most difficult to recover from with, uh, with the eccentric loading of, uh, of the run and the neuromuscular strain. So she jogged that in and she actually still managed to podium in an Ironman 7.3 in the, 35 to 39 female age group so very competitive and then raced the Ironman next week and qualified for Kona so so that was an exception to the rule but in general I would say that even if you're racing two weeks out then give it your best effort and then your taper starts and you're recovering uh, the recovery from that hard half Ironman is part of your tapering so that's how I would go about it thanks again Martin for your question so that wraps it up for today. Keep sending in questions. They're really great. And I really appreciate uh, all the interaction and the feedback. If you haven't already, you absolutely have to go back and listen to Monday's episode, episode 172 with Joel Filial. It's uh, already a modern classic, I, I want to say, on, on this podcast. Uh, and just before we go, a quick reminder again that I'm looking for that part-time customer support person. Uh, you don't have to have any experience in that sort of role at all, but you need to be a self-starter, motivated, knowledgeable about triathlon and service-minded. And remember, it's a remote job. You can do it from anywhere in the world and the hours are flexible and part-time, starting out fairly small, but hopefully they will be growing with time. Uh, so if you are this person or you know somebody who is this person, email me at michael at scientifictriathlon.com. That's Michael with a K and we'll take it from there. All right, big thanks to Roka for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance, eyewear, buoyancy shorts, anything in those categories, look no further than roka.com and use the promo code Show, all on word, all caps, for 20% off your entire order. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.